when your kid's a year and you find out that they have exposure, there's so much that you can do at that point to be proactive, to support their biochemistry and to support detoxification. Their brains are still in full development. So I personally think that it's it's more important that we're proactive and we find out sooner rather than later or never at all. Welcome back to Whole Mama's Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family, whether you're trying to conceive or are navigating life with a toddler or a teenager. We got you covered. Hi, I'm Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor, founder of Nourish Medical Center, and my co-host is Stephanie Granke, registered dietitian and program director for Whole30's Whole Mamas Club and co-creator of Whole30's pregnancy program, Healthy Mama, Happy Baby. Today, I'm excited to interview Dr. Verdi on a very important topic all moms should know about, lead. Now, this interview is packed full of education insights, prevention strategies, and treatment pearls all moms will want to know about. Now, just so you know, most pediatricians test your little kids at between 12 to 24 months, while some pediatricians don't even offer this test at all. Now, as moms, we should be requesting this test for all of our kids and really know what to do about it if our kids' lead levels happen to come back elevated. Now, I'm so excited to share Dr. Verdi with you mamas. She is my go-to resource when it comes to lead toxicity, and now she's here to educate you mamas. Now, before we transition into our interview, I have to warn you guys, the day I recorded our interview, my voice was super hoarse. I tried rescheduling because I didn't want you guys to have to listen to my raspy voice, but it just didn't work out with our busy schedules. So, I just want to say sorry ahead of time. I hope it it isn't too distracting. I was just at the end of a cold and I felt great, but my voice was still just not perfect. So I really apologize. But that's real life. We keep on going on as moms. And really, we're just so lucky to have Dr. Verdi um, to come and talk to us. And since she did more of the talking, I figured that at the end, it was totally worth it to still air this episode. So let's go ahead and welcome her to the show and let's get into the good stuff. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hi, Dr. Verdi. Thank you so much for being on today's show. It's so great to have you. Thanks for having me. Great. So the listeners do not know this, but I've actually been talking to you for the last 36 minutes. And then (laughs) we realized that the recording did not record and I felt like such an idiot. So I just cannot thank you enough for being willing to pretty much do this interview all over again with me. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad we both have time. I know we're both super busy, so it worked out. Yes, we're both moms and doctors, so I truly cannot thank you enough. You mentioned it snowed in where you are right now, so I'm almost so grateful for that. So I have you so that you could still teach the moms something very important. So thank you. Yeah. And as you could tell, my voice is all raspy. So that's that. I really appreciate you bearing with me. Um, It could probably be a little bit of annoying, although Anthony said it sounded sexy when I don't think it sounds sexy, but that's all good. (laughs) I didn't think moms cared about that. But anyway, I really wanted to do this interview. I know because we're so busy, I just decided to suck it up and you just get a horsey version of my voice. So thanks for bearing with me. Okay. Well, since we've been talking for so long, let's just go ahead and quickly dive into what nourished ourselves today. We're going to share that. And then I really would love for you to just share with the listeners a little bit about you and um, how you found your way to becoming a naturopathic doctor who's passionate about helping kids. So go ahead and let me know what what you did today to nourish yourself. Okay. So um, because we were completely snowed in, I had to cancel all of my plans today that I had. And while my son was taking his nap, I had a good hour that I could use to nourish myself. And lately I've been obsessed with Kelly Starrett, who is the author. He's a PT. He wrote Becoming a Supple Leopard. And it's all about our joints and mobility and how to support our physical health. And I'm absolutely obsessed with this work right now, both as a doctor and as a mommy and a woman. And so I got to dedicate an hour just to rolling out my muscles and stretching. And it just felt so relaxing and so good. 
Good for you. So Anthony, my husband's all about Kelly Starrett and mobility work. Uh, just the other night he was on the foam roller and Aviva went to go on the foam roller and roll out. And it was so cute. So, <laughs> you know, you're not only helping yourself and your body, but you're being a great role model for your son, who I know our kids are only about a week different. So I love that we both get to be moms and doctors on this journey together. Yes. Yeah. And you would love this. My son, anytime he sees me doing mobility work, he says, Becoming a supple leopard, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute. Oh, that is so sweet. It's a great title. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So quickly, I'll share what I'm doing to nourish myself right now is drinking a hot cup of tea. Um, the mamas know, both Stephanie, my co-host, and I, we both don't actually like tea that much. We refer to it as dirty water. <laughs> we, I don't know. We're just not like big tea drinkers, but this feels so good on my throat right now. I'm drinking Throat Coat by Traditional Medicinals. It's a um, great tea company and I'm having honey in it and some ginger and some cinnamon, which you actually told me about as we got ready for our interview. I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if I could do this. And so I loved your prescription. Thank you so much. It feels so good. And I actually feel really good. It's just my voice is not here. So that's that's cool. And this is real life and we must continue. So I'm mm -hmm. so glad to still interview you today now for the second time. Uh, I can't believe the first one did not um, hold the recording, but that's okay. This information is just so very important. And I appreciate your time to really help give insight and to really empower moms um, on this topic. But before we go into the topic of lead, I would love if you can share, I love your story about how you became a naturopathic doctor and really the journey that led you to to, you know, be the doctor that you are today and your, and your personal struggle when you were younger. So if you don't mind sharing with us, I just thought that was such a great story. I would love the moms to listen to. Yeah, definitely. When I was a teenager, I struggled, you know, from as early as I can remember now that I'm a doctor and I know what signs to look out for in kids. I remember struggling with anxiety and it was pretty debilitating and Finally, when I was a teenager, I had the words to describe what I was experiencing. And I learned that I was struggling with anxiety. And so I went to my pediatrician to talk about it and see what options I had for treating it. And she brought up antidepressant therapy. And uh, I remember we had just finished taking health class. And um, one of the big stress points in health class is that recreational drugs are dangerous for children and teens because our uh, brains, our, our prefrontal cortex, which involves our personality and our ability to make decisions, it's not fully developed until we're around 21 or 22. And so um, these drugs can interfere with that development and affect the development of our brain. And so when she offered prescription medications to me, um, I felt uncomfortable because I didn't know if it would affect the development of my brain. And so I asked her, what do you know about the effects of these medications on the development of children and teenagers' brains? And she said, thank God she was candid with me. She said, we don't know much. That's what these long-term trials are for. And so then I said, am I part of this long-term trial? And she said, yes, that you would be. And so that felt uncomfortable to me. So I asked her, there has to be something I can do with my diet or my lifestyle or something um, to help me overcome my anxiety. And she basically said, no, there's absolutely nothing you can do to support the anxiety. Really, the medication's the only option. To that, I said, okay, I'll deal with the anxiety, whatever. And was completely blown away that this person who has training in our bodies and our physiology and everything didn't know of anything natural that we could do to support our health. And so I got a second opinion from a local holistic medical doctor. And um, that medical doctor took time to explain to me the effects of eating healthy. She helped me understand that sugar can contribute to anxiety. And she explained that if your adrenals are fatigued, which is something that a lot of moms deal with, but if your adrenals are fatigued, then you are more prone to developing symptoms of anxiety. And she helped me understand that I, I was born very premature and it was a struggle for me to stay alive the first three months of my life. So she made that connection that 
if you're under that much stress as a infant, that that can deplete your adrenals. And so she provided me a lot of adrenal support. And within two months, I was able to experience a healthy mental, emotional life without any symptoms of anxiety. And I wasn't on any medications. And so after that experience, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor that could test and diagnose and treat things. But I also wanted to understand human biology and nutrition and how we can support our health in spite of whatever conditions we're struggling with. And I discovered the naturopathic medical field when I was looking into nutrition programs, thinking that I would have to go through eight years of medical school and then another two years of training as a nutritionist. And then I found that the naturopathic program is everything I've wanted to be in a doctor all wrapped in, into a nice, beautiful package. Mm, oh, I get the chills. I love that. I love listening to this again. It's really a beautiful story. And I think oftentimes our personal struggles is what calls us to then help others. And I, I really just, I find it to be sad, actually, your experience with this one psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not sure who you went to. It, but, was, it was my primary. Oh, it was your primary <laughs> care, Shane. Yeah. But you know, that's the best tool she knew at that time. And I'm just so yeah. glad that you didn't settle and, you know, you kept on searching out. And I love this idea that as a preemie, you are already struggling and that, you know, really challenge your, your adrenals. I've actually never thought of that. And I think that's a really great question in perspective just to go into when I, when I treat patients. So thanks for that. That was actually yeah. a, a very nice uh, clinical tip. Yeah, well, I'm definitely. so glad you've overcome that now. And now you're out here helping others. And it's interesting because we're going to talk about, uh, topic today, lead, that could create a lot of anxiety for moms. And yes. the nature of any type of toxicity or poisoning of, of an element in our children's bodies is, is very worrisome to us. You know, we obviously want to keep our kids as healthy as possible, especially the mom is listening to our show. I mean, we are so proactive. They're just amazing moms out there. And we obviously want to do the best for our kids. So I think before we go into the first question, just about what lead is, I want to you know, set the stage for the show to really reiterate that we are going to start off the show with talking about why lead is something that we should be worried about as parents and why there is concern around that. What are some of the things that lead could do to our children if exposed? But the great news is, is that we're going to follow it by teaching you moms what to look out for so that we can avoid the exposure rates for our kids. And that's so powerful to have that knowledge. And then how do we get our kids tested so that we could be proactive to really measure if they're being exposed? And then the third thing is if your child does ever come back with elevated levels, the great news is, is that there are so many options in order to help decrease those levels so that they don't have those long-term health effects. So I couldn't think of anybody better than Dr. Verdi to come on the show today because I actually call her her as one of my colleagues, when I do find high levels of lead in any of my patients, she has taught me personally so much of what I can do to support my patients that I, she just had to come on the show to help you mamas, you know, be really proactive and feel very empowered around this, this topic. So let's go ahead and start with the first question. And that's just that I would love if you, Dr. Birdie, can teach our moms what lead is and, you know, it's a naturally occurring element, but why it is a dangerous molecule in our child's bodies. And then next, I wanted you to go over, you know, where we're finding our kids mostly exposed, just so we can give that education to our, our moms to feel empowered. Yeah. Okay. So yes, it is a naturally occurring element. It exists everywhere and even foods that we eat. So this is a good way to put it into perspective. If we're eating organic foods, for example, if you test those foods, they will have some level of lead just because lead exists in nature. And so the reason why we worry about it with our kids is because lead will bind to our tissues in areas that zinc and calcium and magnesium and iron will bind. And so because of that, it can affect the nutrition of our children. Lead can also build up in the body over time. It can bind to where calcium would bind, for example, in the bones. And the initial symptoms, if a kid is exposed to lead, they're often silent or hard to detect. And so 
often if symptoms do come up, it may be once there is a high enough exposure um, where we'll still be able to take proactive means to reducing the exposure and helping um, their bodies. But as moms, it can be really helpful to even just prevent any sort of lead exposure from happening and to be informed of lead and where exposure can happen. The specific sources that we often find lead exposure is often in old homes. Homes that were built before 1978 often have a leaded paint. Antiques will often be painted with lead paint as well. And leaded paint is the number one source of lead toxicity for kids. There is a way for moms to be able to understand what leaded paint looks like. If you Google image leaded paint alligator skin, you'll be able to see the typical peeling and cracking that we see with aged leaded paint. It looks like crocodile skin. And that's a good way as mamas for us to know if there's any furniture in our house or grandparents or uh, daycare anywhere that may contain leaded paint or if there's uh, leaded paint on the, the walls. Other sources of lead um, include toys. So uh, there have been tons of recalls from China, especially of toys that contained leaded paint um, that was causing uh, toxicity in kids. So it is important uh, when you're getting hand-me-down toys or hand-me-down furniture to screen for um, possible lead in the paint. And one way you could do this is by buying home test strips um, that are able to, it's just a simple test where you can see if the furniture in your house contains lead or your house contains lead itself. If you do live in an older house, uh, a lot of the state departments fund sending out a lead inspector to check everything for you. Soil is another source of lead exposure. So New Haven, where I used to practice um, the last four years, ha was actually built on a gun factory. And so the soil contained, because bullets were produced with lead back in the 1800s, the soil is very much contaminated with lead. And so for children who are eating dirt, there's this philosophy of let them eat dirt. It's a good way to stimulate our children's immune system. You do have to be cautious and learn about the environment um, around you. So a lot of kids came back with elevated lead in New Haven because of the dirt that they were consuming and it being contaminated with lead. And I think those are the main sources. If there's, if your house was built with leaded pipes, then water may contain lead. That was the big issue in Flint, Michigan, was that the drinking water contained lead from leaded pipes. And so that's how a lot of families were being exposed to lead. And then pottery, pottery is the last source of lead exposure. And pottery, a lot of the times in the past was made with lead. And when you have acidic drinks like tea and coffee, in a leaded uh, mug, for example, the acidic drink will actually leach the lead out into the drink that you're drinking. And so when mamas are in nesting mode and they're getting ready to build their nurseries, I know a lot of the mamas that work with naturopathic doctors are very proactive with having a safe environment for their kids, avoiding things like flame retardants and getting only organic clothing and mattresses. The other thing that I often... Uh, Ilana and I were laughing about this. The other thing that I often include in baby shower gifts is just a lead test kit so that uh, mamas can test anything that they're concerned about. And if you have any concern, it's so easy to call the health department and just get somebody to come out and screen your house and check to see if there's any sources of lead in your environment or your kid's environment. Thank you. This was such a great comprehensive list. And as you could tell, it, it's really prevalent around us, but I think it's even more prevalent in certain states. And I also think that it's so important that as moms, we know that there are things we could do to limit the exposure so that we can be as proactive as possible. So as alarming as this may sound, because I mean, what kid doesn't eat dirt and what kid isn't licking the chair or the wall? I mean, it's just inevitable, right? Our kids get into everything. Yeah. But I think that the state States that have more risk. If you don't mind, can you list off some of those states for the moms who may be listening in those um, parts of the world? Yeah. So states like Pennsylvania have 
uh, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, a lot of the states in the New England area have higher risk for lead toxicity. So there's states where we know for sure that uh, kids tend to be exposed at a higher rate, but it's also um, a problem where a lot of states are no longer screening. And so because families are no longer being tested, there's an underreporting of actual lead exposure. So we're led to believe that it's not a problem, but a study done in April 2017 found that one it's estimated that 1.2 million children in the U.S. have lead poisoning and that we're only aware of half of them because it is so underreported. Wow. So even though we know, yeah, even though we know that there's certain states like New York and Pennsylvania, Ohio, Rhode Island that have higher levels, basically all of New England, because the housing is so old there and the plumbing is so old there, that it seems to be that the trend is that even in the Pacific Northwest and Arizona, Florida, Tennessee, about 80% of kids who were found to have lead toxicity were not tested by their pediatrician. So okay. So the good news is we can test our kids. And before I go into that topic, because I think that is such an important, important topic to talk about, I just want to go back quickly, if you don't mind, to the beginning when you were talking about what lead actually does in the body, how it really binds to minerals, how it doesn't allow um, our kids' nutrient levels to be as optimal. You know, it helps. It also, I know, can affect uh, neurological development and, and bone growth. But would you say if it's a short-term exposure, the risks really aren't as bad? It's really when it's this like long-term exposure that we don't catch that could really have ill effects on our kids. Would you agree with that? Or maybe I'm, I'm incorrect there. So yeah, so it's a little, I'll try to explain it uh, as best as I can. So the long-term lower exposures have been found to have a significant impact on kids. But there's also, if a kid has like a one-time whopping exposure, that can also have an effect. It's all about anytime you're working with a kid who has lead exposure, the prime focus is in preventing re-exposure because you want to minimize uh, the total amount of lead in that child's body so that their body can clear it out and detox it on their own, which we'll talk about that very soon about ways to support a child in, in detoxing from lead toxicity. But um, the way toxicologists refer to it is um, the area under the curve. So if you're looking at your child's lead levels over time and they've had consistently elevated levels of lead, but not too high, maybe four, but they've been at four for two years, the, the total area of them being at four and under is that represents their body burden. So that may actually be more problematic than kids who may come back with a one-time elevated dose of lead exposure that they then detox over a period of a year, if that makes sense. Yes, so, but I think what you're saying is it's just so important that we catch it early because even if it's a, a big load on the body or just a small load over time, the great thing is, is that we can test for it. And not only can we test for it in our kids' blood, but we can also always do our best to limit their exposure rates that we can really try to nip it in the butt early on. And again, we're going to go over some great detoxifying um, capacities for our kids to really try to clear it on their own. So I think that's just some good promising news for moms because this is a serious serious condition, the lead toxicity and lead poisoning, but there is something we could do if we can be as proactive. And that's the next topic we're going to go into is, is testing. And some states, it seems like, and at some doctor's offices, it's a routine test that either one or two-year-olds get. Some doctor offices, some doctor's offices, I see one-year-olds, everyone's tested. For some reason, some doctors will test at two years of age. Some doctors don't test it at all. And I think because as our the mom is listening. We're so proactive. I think no matter what, we shouldn't just assume that our doctors are going to test it. It's so important that we ask for the test. And so if you don't mind just going through a little bit about what to expect with the test, is it a blood draw? Is it a finger prick? And what are the reference ranges we're looking at so that we could really be proactive when we get the results? Yeah. So it is um, typically if it's done at a year of age, doctors are testing for other things like anemia, iron status. Um, and so they will add on a lead test and it's 
at a year of age, it's done as a blood draw itself. But I have heard of patients getting finger prick tests for lead exposure, you know, later on or at a different point. It's definitely, it does vary per pediatrician. I know that the um, medical program that Ilana and I went through, anytime a child would come through with ADHD, regardless of their age, would be tested for lead exposure just because we we will typically test kids at one year or two years of age because they become more mobile uh, around that time and they're also more mouthy. That's the prime way that our kids learn about their environment is through touching and tasting things. And unfortunately, if there's lead exposure, lead dust or lead in the soil or anything, um, that will collect on our kiddos' hands and it'll be a source of exposure for them. So that's the reason why we really push for testing. And I have consulted with other pediatricians and other mamas about in other states about whether or not they do testing. Um, back in New Haven, where I practiced the last four years, it's mandatory to test every kid at a year of age, and it's because um, it's it's just so common for kids to have lead exposure up in Connecticut and the New England area in general. But other states that don't have mandatory testing, it's usually because the government isn't funding it. It's not part of the program. And oftentimes pediatricians will ask, so mamas, this might happen to you. The pediatrician will ask, well, what is the age of the house that you're living in? If it's in, if it was built in 1978 or older, then there's a high chance that there may be lead in the, the pipes or the paint. And so then testing, it does happen. But even if you live in a newer house, you still may have exposure through furniture in your house or toys, or maybe the grandparents' house is older, and so kids may be exposed that way. So I would definitely recommend advocating for yourself and your family, because when your kid's a year and you find out that they have exposure, there's so much that you can do at that point to be proactive, to support their biochemistry and to support detoxification their brains are still in full development. So I personally think that it's it's more important that we're proactive and we we find out sooner rather than later or never at all, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I agree with you 100%, which is why I just felt this podcast was so important because I think we assume that our pediatricians are really doing their best to cover our all health aspects for our kids. And I think our pediatricians, they do the best that they can. A lot of them are, you know, mandated by state laws or insurance uh, practices or, you know, state-funded programs. And I just think that as moms, just being educated and empowered with knowledge is the way to go. And so I highly, highly recommend that the next time you visit your pediatrician's office, you either ask them if your child has already been tested for lead levels, and if not, to then request to do that at really whatever age they are, if they haven't already. So I think we were both in agreement with that. Do you agree? Yes, yeah. definitely. Now, can you go over then the range? Because I know that there's a range, um, a reference range, and I just want moms to then look out for the certain numbers. Okay. So the reference range is um, zero to five micrograms per deciliter. That's the reference range that we get concerned about for kids. If it's zero to five, we're concerned. We definitely want to identify where the exposure is and bring it down. If it's between five or 10, then that's an area of big concern uh, where we need to be very aggressive with supporting children nutritionally and finding all sources of lead in the environment. And often kids will, will talk about this soon, but they'll have retesting to make sure that all of the sources were eliminated from the, from the child's environment. Anything above 10 is alarming and anything above 45 if a child comes back at 45 or higher, they are immediately sent to the hospital for chelation therapy to bring down. And chelation therapy is using uh, specific pharmaceuticals to bring down the amount of lead to bind the lead in the system and bring it down. Okay. Now that I've never, I've never seen that in my practice. Have you ever seen 45? I mean, I've seen some kids in the twenties and that's still very, very rare. I, I mean, the majority of kids, at least here in California are in the zero to five range, but wouldn't you say that even if they're 
two or three or even five, even if they're in the reference range, it's just a nice thing to know. Like, oh, there is some exposure. Why don't I go buy some of those home lead kits, right? And and start testing around. Would you agree with that just to be extra proactive? Yeah. And actually, if if I have anyone that comes back with any, if I have any children who come back with any detectable amount of lead in their system, I will refer them immediately to work with a social worker that specializes in lead and lead uh, toxicity. And I will get them to have a lead inspector come to their home. Oftentimes it's free of charge just to figure out where it's coming from. Sometimes it's coming from daycares. And if that's the case, then we need to know so that other kids aren't being exposed. So really it is something that Anytime, even if it's two, I take, I do not take it lightly and do recommend parents hire a professional to figure out where the exposure is coming from. Great. Okay. I really appreciate it because my next question was, let's say, you know, their kids levels do come back high. What are the next steps? And I think that if they are out of range, isn't it true that for free, the health department will come to the house to then investigate. But you're saying if it's not in outside of the reference range, then it may be something that mom may want to pay out of pocket for. Can you clarify that? Yeah. So um, as far as I can tell, anytime a kid is found with elevated lead levels here on the East Coast, they are provided with um, state-funded lead intervention programs just because we do know that it does have an effect on the IQ and the development of children. And this is something that we don't take lightly, um, that even our government doesn't take lightly. So there are free resources that are provided to families who are affected. Something else is that a lot of the times we think about when you look at the people who are affected by lead poisoning, it tends to be lower income uh, families who live in housing where lead in water or paint uh, on the walls is an issue, but also immigrant families because they're importing a lot of spices from other countries where actually lead is added to the spices to increase the weight of them. So, oh no. Yeah. So, so those are also um, risk groups for lead exposure, but they, everybody, regardless of what their elevated lead levels are, is provided with a social worker. And the social worker's job is really to monitor that kid and monitor their development to ensure that they're not hitting any um, setbacks with their hitting their developmental milestones, that they're not struggling with any behavioral or hearing issues. And the big thing, the most important thing is the social worker's they are able to provide support to a developing brain in a very individualized way. So there's a concept called neuroplasticity, which I think is the most empowering thing for moms to know about. And neuroplasticity uh, represents the fact that our child's brain develops so rapidly in the first couple of years of its life. And there are big things that we can do to affect the way that our child's brain develops. Anything from skin to skin, which we know has amazing effects to nutritional support, which the Whole Foods Mamas, that's what we're all about. So there's a lot of ways that we can support our child's brain. And when you're working with lead, the lead program, you're working with specialists that know how to use play to support children so that even if they aren't hitting milestones, they're still um, experiencing intervention that will make sure that they're not affected by the lead exposure or that they're minimally affected by the lead exposure. And I have so many success stories from social workers who had been working with families that had huge hit, been hit with huge levels of lead. And those kids are now 10 years old and speaking five different languages and playing three different instruments. And you would have no idea that they were affected by lead. And I think the big difference between the past and now is that as moms, we're just a lot more educated and empowered with resources to support our kids. So social workers will come and offer support. And then within one or two days, 
of the finding of elevated lead levels, lead inspector will also come to your home. And so lead inspectors, what they'll do is they'll test the dust in your home to see if it could be coming, the lead could be coming from paint. They'll test the soil around your home to see if maybe it's it's uh, the soil. Lead inspectors also are very well versed in knowing what toys uh, may contain lead or not. So they are aware of all of the recalls that have been done in the past. There's an amazing website that I want to make sure to mention. Uh, it's by the US uh, PRIG, and it's the, it's a document that's published every year, an annual report called Trouble in Toyland. And they will um, publish right before Christmas time information on toys that have been recalled or that are considered unsafe. Um, and that's something that all mamas can uh, learn more about. But these lead inspectors are experts, so they know, you know, for example, dinosaurs that were imported from China that are green or orange or yellow from the 1980s tend to contain lead. And they'll know exactly what, what toys to test that may have been hand-me-downs or what, what toys have been found to have lead within the recent years and be able to test them and help you get rid of any sources of lead. They'll test any foods, um, any spices, anything in your house, any antiques, any furniture to help you figure out where the lead exposure is coming from. If it's found that it is in your house itself, you will be provided with home renovators that are trained in um, removing lead safely. So that's number two is just removing any of the exposure sources that's provided for kids. And then conventionally after that, kids are usually monitored every couple of months to see that their lead levels are coming down. Conventionally, they'll be tested for iron deficiency anemia and they'll be provided iron support by their pediatrician as well. And we often will find lead levels come down. Gradually over time, there are uh, periods of time where kids can hit a plateau. There's also periods of time where lead levels may be elevated and it's typically associated with babies growing. So let's say your five-year-old we know that they have elevated lead, maybe it's at seven, and then they hit a growth spurt where they grow, you know, two inches in a six month period of time, their lead levels may come back elevated. And that's because their bones are actually releasing lead as they're breaking down and remodeling. So um, those are just things to keep an eye out for as a mom, that it's normal if, if your child plateaus. And it's also normal if it is a little elevated at times. And that's just related to the biochemistry of how kids grow if they have lead in their system. Great. Now, before we go on, because this is such great information, I, I just want to reiterate this is state funded. Is that correct? That moms aren't even having to necessarily pay for this. If their child does come back with high levels, it's like they have this team that comes to their house to not only help their child one-on-one -on -one with the social worker, help with the neuroplasticity, but also a lead expert to really help to identify where the exposure is and then to help remediate it. Is that correct? I mean, that's truly amazing resources that we have. Yes. And, and I, what I think is the best thing about it is a lot of the times if a kid is healthy, they may not show signs of lead exposure. And even if that's the case, even if your child is um, reaching milestones and seems to be doing well, they will come back whenever you ask them to. So they will come back maybe a, a year later, six months later, just to to give you peace of mind, to know that you're doing everything you can do with your child. And if your child seems to need help, that you'll get that support to help their brain development and to help support them. I love that. I just think it's so important that us moms know our resources. So with that said, I will add to the show notes. I just, I love this. Um, first of all, the, the name is cute, Trouble in Toyland. I'm going to add that. I'm also going to add a source of um, where someone could buy the home testing kit. And then yes. I'm also going to add CDC information on lead toxicity in state programs. So for various states, 
you can just click on your state and then you can find out what your state has to offer. So I just think these are great resources. Um, now, before we go on to other therapies of what we could do to lower lead uh, levels, I also wanted to just mention and touch on the fact that we have many moms listening who may be living in very old homes. And they just may be very nervous about this because they feel like they may just be exposed on a daily basis and they either one already got their child's leads uh, levels tested. Do you think that they should repeat it every year? Do you think that they should just kind of keep their, you know, just be a little bit more proactive in that? And then the other part of that is, is there any advice you can give them specifically just so that, you know, sometimes we live in a great home and we don't want to move, but it was built before 1978. And you obviously want to do the best for your child. Can you give some advice to these parents? Um, Maybe they're the ones who hired the lead experts or investigators. If you can give them some information, that'd be helpful. Yeah. So just to clarify, these are the moms that are living in older housing. Their kids have had testing already and it came back negative. Yeah, but they're still kind of concerned. Uh, maybe can they can can they get re-exposed over the years yeah yeah okay so yes re-exposure can happen if you are aware that your house contains leaded paint then it would be so important anytime you're doing any sort of renovation in the house to have a lead expert work on it to get your child out of the house so that they're not exposed through uh leaded dust um through inhaling it if anything is, you know, unsettled in the process, if any lead dust is moved at all. The other thing is that I would recommend regular testing until they outgrow the age of uh, being mouthy and handsy and touching things and putting things in their mouth. So the reason why I recommend regular testing is because uh, sometimes that exposure may not be happening at home, or it may be happening when you don't see it. And if you could know immediately when uh, that exposure is happening, then you would be able to provide support well before you start to see symptoms come up. Um, some of the other things to look out for, for lead, if, if you're unable to get testing regularly, once a year, for example, is look for signs of anemia. If your child is eating a well-balanced diet, they're eating red meat, for example, or legumes that contain iron and uh, greens, but they still seem to be anemic or they crave um, undigestible foods like ice for Well, ice is digestible, but it's not necessarily a food. So if they're wanting to chew ice or wanting to eat dirt, those are all signs that they may have uh, lead toxicity. If they have bruising on their body, it may be anemia, it may be lead exposure. And then if they, if you start to run into problems with attention or learning uh, difficulties or behavioral problems, those may also warrant a repeat testing. So I've had some patients where we've known that they had lead exposure and we thought that we had eliminated all of the sources. And then we came to find out that they had been exposed at school through lead paint and that regular screening and checking was a good way for us to know whether that re-exposure was happening and allowed us to provide them support immediately. Great. So many great resources. And I think also with a mom who may be, you know, just more concerned because of her environment, just to hire a lead expert, have them come into the home, do those tests, do the home kit tests, get your child tested repeatedly. And really, you could feel really empowered and proactive about helping your child. You agree with that? Yeah. Excellent. And lead inspectors, they're awesome. They will answer any and all of your questions and anxious moms. It's so scary to learn about this stuff. And so when you can find experts in the field who can speak to, um, you know, the effects of lead, but they can also say, yeah, I've had a kid with lead. I've worked with families who have had lead levels such as yours and the kids are completely fine. It can be really helpful to hear that and know that there are 
means to supporting your kid. Yes. It's not, it's not the end of the world. Great. Now, in addition to that, we have a lot of natural remedies that can also help the detoxification process. And I know in your clinical experience, you've actually taught me how to help support these kiddos. In addition, of course, to the social worker helping with more, you know, play type of therapy, in addition to getting rid of the exposure in the house. But then how can we still optimize our kids detoxification abilities so that we can not only see levels of lead decrease, but we can see them decrease rapidly. Can you give us some of your favorite remedies that some of these moms can can learn more about? Yeah, yeah. So um, first, I do want to um, speak a little bit to chelators. So chelators, there's um, two approaches that you can take to supporting your child using natural medicine. Um, One is chelation therapy. So many naturopathic doctors and medical doctors are trained in using chelators like DMSA and EDTA, either orally or through IV to bring down children's lead levels. So when I first started working with uh, pediatric patients who had lead poisoning, I really delved into the research uh, looking at chelators versus natural support. And the big risk with chelators and the reason why they only use chelators in kids who have levels at, at 45 or over is that chelators will also pull out healthy minerals from your child's body. So it'll pull out zinc and magnesium and calcium. They also taste foul. They taste very sulfury. And so for a lot of kids, it's uncomfortable for them to go through it. But when you look at the long-term studies, a lot of research is finding that Chelating kids who have levels lower than 45 does not seem to change the outcome, either the health effects or the long-term lead levels uh, compared to kids who didn't have any chelation therapy. So um, there are NDs who will provide chelation therapy. The NDs who are trained in it will know how to replete your child's mineral status. The reason why I choose not to pursue chelation therapy is because there's so many natural things that we can use that have been found to lower our lead levels, uh, just as well as chelators, but also it's been found that they can actually reverse the damage done by lead in some cases. And anytime you're working with um, chelation and pulling lead out, there's always the biggest concern that toxicologists and medical doctors have is if you're pulling that lead out, it could uh, redistribute to the brain and other tissues in the body. Whereas if you're using natural support, the lead will leave the system as through the body's own natural regulation processes. So just one distinction for the moms who are affected by lead, just explaining why we don't typically recommend chelation therapy. But the biggest support is good nutrition. So supporting micronutrient levels like calcium and magnesium and zinc, they will actually block the absorption of lead in your child's system. And they will compete with lead uh, in terms of the enzymes and receptors involved in growth and development. So um, supporting healthy nutrition is a great way to help our kids. Getting your pediatrician to test iron levels and supporting with iron. Iron also competes with lead and blocks the binding of lead to our tissues. The, I, I do believe that a lot of the effects of lead toxicity, there, there isn't research out there now, but issues like poor appetite that we see come out of lead toxicity or, or shorter stature, slower growth rates, I believe that that's probably due to the micronutrient deficiencies. It makes sense that we need zinc to regulate our appetite, that we need calcium and magnesium to build our bones. And so I do think that those micronutrients are essential in supporting our kids. Using a multi-mineral support would also be really helpful for your kiddos. Iron, iron needs to be dosed through a pediatrician. So working with your pediatrician and getting dosing because it is possible to do too much iron for a kid. Um, so that's something that you would want to get recommended through a blood test. Vitamin C is so helpful in cases of lead toxicity because it enhances the absorption of iron. But vitamin C also 
helps to recycle glutathione, which is our body's biggest source of detoxification. It's a powerful enzyme that chelates metals from our body on its own. And glutathione uses things like manganese and zinc and vitamin C to recycle and become more active. Treating digestive issues, so kids who have lead toxicity, if they're constipated, they're likely not clearing lead out of their system. So treating any sort of digestion issues that are coming back will help with detoxification. And then neurological support. So there's a lot of research out there that finds that fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids, are so helpful for reducing symptoms and behaviors associated with ADHD, um, especially in families who don't want to use stimulants. So when I look at research like that, what we know about omega-3 fatty acids is that our body cannot synthesize it. We have to get it through our diet. And unfortunately, right now, a lot of our seafood is contaminated with heavy metals, ironically enough. And so you can go to Seafood Watch and find out what seafood is safe for your kids that and seafood typically has high levels of omega-3 fatty acids but fish oil is an excellent way that you can get your kids regular clean essential fatty acid support so even if they're at risk for developing adhd for example because of of lead toxicity you're still feeding their brain and their central nervous system with nutrients that will help to eradicate or reduce behaviors associated with ADHD. And then some of my favorite therapies. So this should always be, you should always work with a licensed physician, whether they're a naturopath or another uh, practitioner that has training in using these substances. But this is to give all of the mamas hope out there that are dealing with lead poisoning. So modified citrus pectin, there was one study done on children who had levels of lead at 20 or higher. So that's pretty high considering the, the reference range we like to see is either undetectable or zero to five. So this study looked at kids um, who had levels at 20 or higher, and they were given modified citrus pectin, which is a type of fiber found in the cell wall of citrus peels, so oranges and grapefruits, for example. And um, that's actually, the rind is actually the most nutritious part of these citrus fruits. Um, so this substance is derived from those fruits, and it was found that children who were given 15 grams three times a day of modified citrus pectin had a 161% decrease in lead levels after a month. And that lead, they found it in the urine. So it was leaving the body. So that's amazing that that could help kids uh, remove lead on their own. And acetylcysteine is a very safe amino acid, and it's the precursor to glutathione, which is that enzyme that I mentioned earlier. And it increases glutathione activity. If you're talking to a medical doctor about it, they'll often say, oh yeah, we use N-acetylcysteine all the time for Tylenol overdose. But really naturally, we use it because it's such a powerful antioxidant and it can prevent DNA damage due to toxins in our environment, whether it is lead or pesticides or anything else. And it's it's very safe to use. So that's another uh, support that parents can use. The last two, so one of them is called Allicin, which is an extract from garlic. So this is another favorite study of mine where they took automotive workers, adults who had lead toxicity, and they gave them a chelator. So one of the conventional pharmaceuticals that's used to treat lead exposure versus allicin, which is garlic extract. And um, they found that in the group after they split the group up into two and they found that after treatment, both groups had comparably lower levels of lead. So whether it's garlic or this pharmaceutical, lower levels of lead, but the group that received the garlic, they had some significant changes in symptoms associated with lead toxicity, including irritability, headaches, 
we see high blood pressure in adults who are affected by lead. So their blood pressure came down and they had um, better reflexes. So the other thing is that lead will affect our brain and our ability to respond quickly. So the automotive workers who were taking Allison had symptomatic improvement, whereas the ones who were on the chelator didn't. And the Allison, the N-acetylcysteine and the modified citrus pectin, they're all very safe and gentle therapies if you're using it with a licensed uh, physician and taking the dosing the proper way. So that gives so much hope that there's a lot that we can do. But probably my favorite therapy and one that I know Ilana is a huge fan of is actually homeopathy. And just a little bit about homeopathy. So the founder of homeopathy, um, he developed homeopathy in the 1800s as a response to medical doctors at the time who were using mercury and lead and cadmium and bloodletting and all of these really invasive and toxic treatments to treat their patients. And Hahnemann thought to himself, you know, I don't know about this. These patients keep going to their medical doctors and dying of these um, illnesses. So he became skeptical and started to wonder, maybe mercury and maybe lead is toxic. And so he developed homeopathy as a way to support these people who had been affected by conventional medicine at the time. And he found that you could use a more gentle approach, which is homeopathy, to support these people. So a lot of homeopathic remedies, we have data, empirical data over hundreds of years showing that it can help uh, mitigate the effects of heavy metal toxicity. So definitely getting a good homeopath on board, whether your child has heavy metal exposure or some other chemical toxicity or a vaccination reaction or anything that you're not sure what factors could have played into it or how their body will respond. Homeopathy kind of helps to support the body and healing itself in its very individualized way that it was affected. So it's a very individualized and gentle treatment. And I've seen it work wonders for kids um, who are struggling with exposures or any sort of syndromes or delays with developmental milestones. So yeah, those are, those are all great options of support that are very gentle and um, seem to be very helpful for kids who are affected. I love you so much. This was so good. <laughs> oh, I just, I think this is, it's a testimony to the power of natural medicines in it, in adjacent to what conventional approaches there we have. So I think it's important to take this kind of integrative uh, medical approach to, to really anything when our kids get sick, but it's just so lovely to see how many effective treatments we have. I'm hoping so much that moms just, you know, are ending this podcast, just feeling more empowered and educated so that they know that there are many, many options. And really, you know, this could be a very scary and overwhelming subject if, your child does end up becoming having uh, lead levels come back high. And I was just wondering, Dr. Verdi, if you accept um, patients virtually, that maybe if a mom wanted some more of these therapeutic doses or she has some further questions, could she reach out to you or how can she continue to learn more about you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I love helping kids who have been affected by lead poisoning. And I feel for the mamas uh, who have dealt with a lot of the guilt that goes into finding out that your child was exposed right under your nose. So I totally feel for that. And I love offering that support. You can call me at 240-389-4588 to set up an appointment for us to chat and see how I can help you. I do like to work alongside children's primary care doctors. So I will recommend getting labs done through your primary um, and I will be on maternity leave between uh, the end of mid-April to June. But anytime before then, make sure to call or anytime after June, call and we'll set something up. 
Oh, I'm so happy for you and your growing family. That's really great. And then, of course, I can also help support those moms during your maternity leave as um, that would be another option. But really, you're such a great expert in the field. So once you get back into practice, I'm going to send them all your way as well, because you're really you're my teacher. And now you're able to now teach all these moms. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. You know, I am so grateful that even though our first recording did not record, you really stuck through it and that we recorded again. I think this information is so incredibly valuable. Thank you for being our guest today. I just, I can't wait to air this podcast and re-listen to it myself and just share with patients and family and friends and so many others. So moms, please do share this one. It's an important one among so many other ones we have. And thank you again, Dr. Verdi, for being here today. It was really just an honor to have you on. Thanks for having me and I'll talk to you soon. Great. Now, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your mama friends and writing us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you enjoyed about this episode and help us grow our village. Now, this week's favorite review was written by a mama who called herself Tiny21 on iTunes. She wrote, Stephanie and Lana are a wealth of information when it comes to caring for ourselves and our family. The topics they discuss are very timely and always include real-life perspectives and realistic suggestions because they too are busy mamas. Their guests are not only top-notch, but the conversations are always in-depth. Sometimes I have to listen twice. Thank you for creating a wonderful podcast, Stephanie Lana. Oh, thank you so much for this review. Steph and I, we are so happy to read reviews like this. We really try to make things real for you mamas. We are moms ourselves and know what it's like juggling a lot while still prioritizing our family's health. So thank you for this great review and really truly every review motivates us more and more to continue recording and sharing with you mamas. So thank you. Now, please remember, you can also visit our website at homemamasclub.com forward slash podcast to review show notes, find past episodes, and leave comments and questions for future shows. Please remember that the views on this podcast, they're not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family.